Hi, and welcome to the Radius Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in finding out more information about Radius Church, please check us out on our website, radiuschurch.tv. How many remember uh, Steve Irwin? Remember Steve Irwin, the crocodile hunter? You guys remember him? Crikey, you guys remember that, right? You remember him? Uh, Well, we were shocked. He died. Uh, Of course, if you know him, you know that he died in 2006. Boy, it just seems like time is flying, right? And it wasn't so much that he died. I mean, it made made, uh, global news that he died. And it wasn't just that he died. Uh, I think if you followed him or watched his program, uh, it's the way he died that was interesting, isn't it? Because most of us, how many of you thought when he died, it would be something like a crocodile bit his head off or something, right? Uh, Right? Exactly. Uh, We would have thought it would have been something mammoth, like he got stampeded by buffaloes, or I don't know, just something because he was always pushing the envelope and just doing some wild and crazy things. But the fact of the matter is he died by a sting or a barb from a, a, a... Stingray, I just forgot the thing. From a jellyfish, no, from a stingray. And, and it was just crazy. And so I remember reading an article, and I went back and looked it up as I was preparing this message. And the only way that a stingray can kill you is to stab you directly in the heart. And the chances that he had that stingray, and it pierced him between two ribs directly into his heart, is like the ch- one chance in a million. And again, it made wor- global news, and he died, not by an alligator biting his hand off or his head off. He died because his heart was wounded. Mm. Now, that made global news. But what I'm more interested in is how many are dying slow deaths because there is something that has pierced their heart or wounded their heart, and they're sitting with smiles on their faces, and internally their emotional heart, their soul, is bleeding out. And that's what I want to deal with over the next few weeks to end this year, so that perhaps we enter a new year, come on, with healthy hearts and raring to go. Amen, everybody? Proverbs uh, chapter number 4, verse number 23 It's actually a verse that I have written across the top of my laptop so that I think about it all the time and I consider the things I'm looking at and the things that I'm hearing because Proverbs 4.23 will be our foundational verse. And here's what it says. It's, It's really a simple but very profound verse in the Bible. It says, above all else. Notice the priority in that statement. Above all else, guard your theology. Above all else, guard your reputation. No, it says above all else, guard your heart. And, and it doesn't just tell you what you should do. It tells you why you should do that thing. It, says, it doesn't just say guard your heart, but it reminds us of why that is such an important thing. It says for everything you do, everything we do, let, let, let me add to that, every thought we think, every action we have, Every desire that we have, every want that we have, it flows out of the heart, right? Here's what I want you to know as I launch this series. Um, Radius cares about your emotional health. And I think that a good church should be concerned about your physical well-being, which is why we feed people. 
It should be concerned about your emotional well-being. And obviously, it ought to be concerned about your spiritual well-being. But I don't think we should leave any one of them behind. I think we ought to be concerned with your heart. Matter of fact, this might be a good time for me to kind of cast vision as a pastor to Radius and remind us as we get ready to move that Radius needs to be the church that cares about broken hearts, everybody, that cares about wounded hearts, that cares about bleeding hearts. And matter of fact, it might be a good time to remind you that we're not, that, that we're not a museum for the saints, but we are a hospital for people with broken hearts. Amen, everybody? I mean, isn't it true that the truth of the matter is, is that we're here and we're all beggars who have found bread and we're just trying to tell other beggars where the bread is and that there's an endless supply of the bread. Amen. I mean, isn't that really what we're all about? How many of you, when we talk about issues of the heart, we recognize um, issues of the heart could, could feel kind of like this. It's, it's when I know what is right here. <laughs> but it doesn't transfer down to here. Has, has anybody besides me ever been there? I, I, I know what I should be feeling or thinking or doing, I, 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 what I'm feeling or what I know logically, but my heart is saying something else. I know I shouldn't be dating that joker, <laughs> but my heart could be deceiving me and making me feel different than what my mind and the facts are logically telling me. Woo, we must have some dating couples in here because nobody wanted to amen that. <laughs> when your heart is not healthy, you can know one thing and feel another. Come on, let me take a survey. How many of you know one thing but felt another? Let me see your hands. Of course, right? Uh, um, I, I, and, and it's important for us to understand why this series is so important because out of our heart, our heart, when I talk about the heart, I'm not talking about the physical heart. I'm talking about the soul of a person. And when we talk about the heart, it's, we have to recognize what flows out of the heart. The scripture just said everything flows. Everything flows out of that. So, so let, me, let me give you some things. Our feelings flow out of our hearts. Have you lived long enough to know that your feelings can lie to you? <laughs> our, our, feelings can lie, our feelings can lie, but our feelings come from our heart. So watch this. If I have an unhealthy heart, I have some unhealthy feelings. Well, what flows out of that? My desires flow out of my heart. Come on now. Mm, how many of your desires have ever got you in trouble? My, my passions flow out of my heart. My thoughts, which is very important, our thoughts come from our heart. So, so when our heart is not healthy, then, watch this, then our feelings aren't healthy. And, and our desires aren't healthy. And our passions aren't healthy. <sighs> and, and our thoughts aren't healthy. And we already know what we think about in life is where we go about in life. Um, unhealthy. What does that mean, Kim, when you say that they're unhealthy? Well, unhealthy, uh, it simply means distorted, unsound, harmful, and dangerous. So, so let's logically think through this. We need a healthy heart. I don't need my heart distorted, unsound. I don't need it harmful, and I don't need a dangerous heart because a heart can make me feel something. And how me know Passions can be strong, right? Desires can be strong. 
So over the next few weeks, I want to talk to you about the issues of the heart. Issue. Issue is a dispute. When I say issues of the heart, I, I I wrestled with this a long time. I was going to call it enemies of the heart and all kind of things. But I just left it at issues of the heart because an issue is a dispute. How many have ever had a dispute between here and here? Mm -hmm. How many have had a good friend or a parent or a coach or a pastor or a mentor that has told you one thing but your heart is telling you something else? And it might be because we haven't guarded our heart and our heart is desiring wrong thing. An issue is a dispute. It's a disagreement, and it's a controversy. So today, I want to start with one that might feel a little easier, but it probably isn't if you wrestle with this. Today, I want to talk about a restless heart. And those that are, um, deal with a restless heart, you're already nervous about what I'm preaching because you have a restless heart, all right? How many of you ever heard of the restless leg syndrome, RLS? Let me see your hands, right? Or some people call it the Jimmy leg, all right? All right. If I drink coffee past 2 o'clock, man, I'm trying to go to sleep, and my left leg will kick Patty right out of bed. I'm just telling you, all right? At least that's my excuse. I'm going to live with that, all right, everybody? It's a condition in which the leg twitches or it contracts the legs. Well, a restless heart syndrome or RHS, it works in a similar way, but it works in the heart, not the physical heart but in the soul of a person. And here's the primary symptom of a restless heart. The primary symptom is discontentment. Have you noticed we're living in a world that it's easier and easier and easier and easier to become discontent with where we're at? It's, it's the person that's dealing with the restless heart is never satisfied with anything. Uh, um, in fact, let me take you to a portion of Scripture. Don't put it up there yet. Let me, let, let me set it up. In Genesis, there's this story of the first two brothers, Cain and Abel, and Cain kills Abel. And, and, and I, won't, I, I won't give a whole lot of background to the story because that's really not the theme of my message. You can read about it in Genesis chapter number 4. But after he kills his brother... God speaks to Cain, and he says something that's kind of interesting, and I, I want to use this as the backdrop to the restless heart. Genesis chapter number 4, verse number 11, it says, now God's talking. He says, now you are under a curse. Now let me time out real quick here and say something. It, a curse is the opposite of a blessing. And so a, you are not blessed with a restless heart. But a restless heart is something that is not to be desired. Uh, if I was being really strong, I'd say a restless heart is kind of similar to being under a curse. Okay, uh, I'm not going to put it that strong because we live in New Testament under grace times. But if you struggle with a restless heart, you recognize this is like a curse. I, I wish I could settle things down. So he says, now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Look at verse 12. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops to you. Isn't that a character trait of somebody with a restless heart? You're always working, but never harvesting. You're busy about all kinds of things, but never getting fulfillment from the things that you're busy doing. You can't sit still. You can't have a Sabbath. You can't just chill and relax. You're always working but never receiving a harvest because you have a restless heart. And watch this. God says, you will be a restless wanderer on the earth. 
You'll be a restless wanderer. Now, there are those that are listening to me, either online or in this room right now, that you are already identifying with this message. You feel like you're a wanderer. And, and restlessness, yes, it's in a, in a form, it's a curse. Um, curse, what I mean by that is you're always searching, but you're never finding. Now, we live under the New Testament. Jesus has redeemed us from, like, curse, the curse of the law, but you know what it is to live under that shadow. There are some here today that have a restless heart, and you know what it feels like to be like a restless wanderer, always searching, never finding, interesting, excuse me, interested in everything, but satisfied by nothing. Interested in a lot of guys. Oh, never mind. I'll, I'll skip right over that. <laughs> Minds that won't shut down. Even when we sleep, it's going a million miles an hour. You're kind of in a sleep and you're kind of thinking about all the things you still need to do. Often worried, often anxious, often frustrated, often tense, and vacation doesn't solve it. It's like your mental RPMs are redlining. Now, this is one that I've had to confront in my own life, and I feel like I've uh, gained and attained some level of victory in this area. And it took me a little bit. It took some counseling. It took somebody really mentoring into my life some of the things that I'm going to talk to you about today. It's never satisfied, always looking. And, and for the person with the restless heart, contentment is very difficult. And when we read verses about being content, but you, you will always say, yeah, but I'm just a driven person. I'm an ambition person. I'm an ambitious person. How many know you can still be ambitious and still have a content heart? Because content is not necessarily being satisfied with where I'm at. It's the mood that I project while I'm where I'm at, while I'm pushing to be in another place. Mm -hmm. Solomon was the wisest man that ever walked the earth, and he said it like this in Ecclesiastes chapter number 2. In Ecclesiastes 2, Solomon says, what do people get from all their toil? What do they get from their, all, all their anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? It sounds like Solomon was born in America, right? Uh, it, it says, all their days, their work is grief. And pain, even at nights, their minds do not rest. This, too, is meaningless. Solomon is saying all that anxiousness, all of that stuff, it's just meaningless. Now, you don't have to raise your hands, but I'll, take a, I'll just ask a question. Don't, don't raise your hand. You don't have to amen. You can look at me like you have no idea what I'm talking about. But I wonder how many here have a tendency to get wound up and to be restless. You can go on vacation. You can sit on the beach. You can do nothing, um, but you still don't feel rested. Matter of fact, you go on vacation, and you come back, and your body is rested, but your soul, your mind, your heart is not rested, right? Um, because you're restless. I, I, I like that. I put this up here. It's restless. It's, it, I looked up the, the, the back of that, the, the word less, and it means most certainly not. That's what less means. <laughs> Money less, most certainly not, okay? 
rest less. It means most certainly not. We do not have rest. Okay, so I've spent enough time already talking about the problem. If this is you and you have a restless heart, okay, fine, Ken, get to the solution. I'm glad you're here today. Let's get to the solution. Where do we find rest for the soul? Now, I'm going to admit right now, these are going to be easy to preach. Uh, It's easier being on the other side of a restless heart than it is when you're in the middle of it. And when I start telling the points, if you have a restless heart, you might have a tendency to roll your eyes at me and say, oh, yeah, that's easier said than done. That's okay. God will get you for thinking that about me, all right? (laughs) So let's look at them. Number one, it sounds so easy, but number one is we have to learn to be content. Now, I'm not just going to say learn to be content. I'm going to give you a couple ways how we can learn to be content. But let me give some biblical background to this. Philippians chapter number 4, verse number 11. This is Paul speaking. And Paul says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I have learned. Now, this is interesting to me. So if we have a restless heart, what Paul is telling us is being content is something that we can learn. You might not be there right now, but you can learn this. So watch this. There's hope. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances I'm in. I've learned to be content no matter who the president is. I've learned to be content no matter what the bank account says. I've learned to... Now, it doesn't mean that I don't want something different. It means that my spirit can be at rest while I'm pushing for a change. Ah, okay. All right. Well, thank you for the three amens in the room. All right. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned, there it is again, the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. Let me give you two sub-points. How how can we learn to be content? Let me give you two baby steps to doing this. Uh, Letter A is... You've got to stop comparing yourself to others. You're not running their race. You're not supposed to have their talent, their looks, their height, their thinness, their whatever it is. God made you the way God made you because he has a race for you to run that is different than the other person's race that they are supposed to run. You are the best you that God has ever made. You ought to be the president of your own fan club. Can I get an amen? Right? Come on now. And by the way, hasn't social media accentuated this with everybody putting on their airbrush photos of how happy they are? But what we don't see is they just had a fight before they put that fake smile on there. Right? And I believe this with all my heart. Until we can learn to be happy um, for others, for how God is blessing them, it might be hard for God to give us something because our heart is poisonous, everyone. And comparing will make you miserable. It'll make you miserable. Miserable. You are, you're on a different journey, and God has a different plan, and God put different skill sets in you because he has a plan and a purpose. I've used this story before. But my friend Luke Barnett, who is now the pastor of Dream City Church in Phoenix, Arizona, his dad founded the church, uh, Pastor Tommy Barnett, who many of you have met here. 
and uh, at one time had America's largest church. And um, uh, when we pastored in Detroit, I would drive from my service on Sunday morning that got done around noon, and I would drive down to Dayton, Ohio, where at that time Luke was pastoring his first church, and I would preach his Sunday night services down there. Well, one Sunday night, we were going to go from Dayton and drive another hour to Cincinnati to pick his dad up from the airport where he was holding a big revival service. And, and so we drove down there, picked up Pastor Tommy, and Pastor Tommy had never seen his son's new church that they had just built, uh, a 2,000-seat auditorium, beautiful campus, 42 acres. It was unbelievable. He hadn't seen it yet. And so... When we got done with the service in Cincinnati, the three of us were going to drive back up to Luke's house and see the building. And so the service got over, and Luke got in the driver's seat, and he was driving. Pastor Tommy got in the passenger seat, and I sat in the back seat. Well, if you've ever been around Pastor Tommy, he's been here a couple times. He is the greatest encourager in the whole world. And he kept telling his son, for an hour and 15-minute drive, all I heard in the darkness of that car sitting in the back seat is, son, I'm so proud of you. Son, I can't wait to see what God's doing. Son this, son that. I was ready to throw up. I was so sick and tired. Of all the compliments that Luke was getting, son, you're the best. You're going to rock this city. You're going to reach this city. I can't wait. He was like a little kid, can't wait for Christmas morning. And the more he complimented Luke, the more I sank in my seat and felt worse about me. I was sitting back there talking to myself going, God, I don't have nobody encouraging me like that. God, where's my dad? Where's my encouragers? Where's my pastors? Where's my 2,000 seats? Where's my 42 acres, Lord? You know, and have you ever copped an attitude with God? and called it prayer. Let me see your hands, right? You know what I'm saying, right? I went to my room that night. We all spent the night at Luke's house, and there was a guest bedroom that I stayed in. And I mean, I was mad. I was pacing the floors. I wasn't really mad. I was discouraged because I didn't have a spiritual mentor. I didn't have a spiritual father, let alone a physical father in my life, and I was just down. And the devil started saying things to me, you'll never be able to accomplish what Luke's going to accomplish because you don't have what Luke has. And I believed the enemy. I mean, I was ready to go home and resign right then. And about 2 o'clock in the morning, I don't know why God can't talk to you at 10 o'clock at night. I just don't understand that. Does anybody else have this problem? About 2 o'clock in the morning, I felt God say, if I wanted you to run Luke's race, I would have given you the things that Luke has. But I have a different race for you, and you're going to reach a different kind of people, and the things that you've been through, your misery will become your ministry, and you will reach the people that feel the way that you feel. I've got a plan for you. Now shut up and start running the race. God has to talk to me like that sometimes, all right? If he ever talks to you like that, don't be offended. That's the language you need, all right, everyone? We think that when God speaks, he's going to come down with an angel in harps and clouds, right? But anyway, and so, but it's so true. We cannot compare ourselves to others, letter B. These are just two steps, letter B, is that we've got to stop thinking that more will make us happy. Can I get a letter B up here? We've got to stop thinking more will make us happy. Uh, boy, isn't that the lie of our nation? Now, I want to say something in all humility. I grew up without a lot, and so I've had no things. And then I've come to a season in my life in my 30s where I had every single thing I wished for. And, and I think God was teaching me a lesson in that. 
I didn't have everything that I wished for because I was all that. I think God was letting me have all those things to expose the lie that the things don't make you happy. Patty and I built our dream home out on a private road, just a beautiful home. We built a, a building for our church, that 250,000 square feet. I mean, it was absolutely amazing. Dormitories for a dream center. Uh, and we, we, we had a full Olympic gym, an indoor Olympic pool at the church, a uh, cafe, all kind of things. Matter of fact, when they built my office, they built a private driveway and a garage under my office. How many know I was spoiled? How many know that, right? And in that private garage, an elevator that took me right up into my office, or I could go uh, to the right and go right into the green room behind the stage. And it was absolutely beautiful. I had everything I could ever, not only that I could dream of, but and more. But you know what? I was still restless. I still had a restless heart. Here's what I would say to me back then if I could go back at this stage in life and talk to that knucklehead back there at that stage of life. I would say don't keep wanting what God's not giving you and thank him for where you're already at because it could be a whole lot worse. Amen, everybody? And then God brought me all the way to coming here and starting this church and me and Patty living uh, in a little 600-square-foot condominium. And you know what? I learned I was more happy because I had learned how to be content with wherever I'm at. Amen, everybody? That's the secret. Have you ever seen people that seem like they're down and out and they got the biggest smiles on their face? Because they've learned how to be content. Romans 13 says it this way. Romans says, rather close yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Right? Wow. I had a pastor friend one time during that season of my life because I was restless. I had all these blessings, yet I was restless. And he told me this, and I was mad at him for saying this. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain what he meant. He said, Ken, you've got to lower your expectations. I was ready to punch him in the nose. Because I preach messages like, elevate your expectations. But what he was really saying to me is, Ken, you've got to stop expecting the world to fulfill all those areas of your life and start looking to Jesus to fulfill all those areas of your life. In other words, yeah, you can have great expectations, but don't expect the world to do and fulfill. Don't even expect the church to fulfill only what God can fulfill. Mic drop, pow, come on, right? Yeah. Or for those gray hairs in the room, the old hymn writer said, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his glory and grace, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I might have got the words wrong, but you get the point, right, everyone? Number two, the second thing we have to do to calm a restless heart is we have to look to God for fulfillment. Psalms chapter 62, verse number one says this, Truly my soul finds rest in God. My, my rest is in God. Not in my vacation. My rest is in God. Uh, 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 my salvation comes from Him. He, he, let me tell you something everybody in this room already knows, but it's a good reminder. We know it, but we don't know it. That no person, no thing, no vacation, no house, 
no position, no career, no money can bring rest to the soul. None of those things can. Matter of fact, most blessings come with a burden. How many know I'm right about this, right? Come on. Oh, I just want a house. I want a house. I want a house. I want a house. God gives you a house. Now you got to mow the yard. <laughs> blessings come with a burden. I'll tell you, we got this building. Oh, we got this great building over here. How many know there's a couple burdens there? Hmm? When we bought it, we had the roof inspected, said, yep, they repaired it, it's good. We bought it in the summer. Remember that drought we had? Didn't rain for three months. It started raining. Guess what? Leaks everywhere. I said, Lord, a new roof is not in the budget. Every blessing comes with a burden, right? Um, I've been around in my life. I've had this unique opportunity to be around some pretty, I guess, according to the world, big people. I've been around some A-list movie stars. I've been around famous musicians. I've been around, I've had famous musicians, famous athletes attend my church. And, and you know what they all say? They will all say this, that money does not fulfill the longings of the heart. In fact, Augustine said it this way. He says this. He says, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our soul is restless until it finds rest in you. And if that isn't good enough, then let me tell you what Jesus said. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, this. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke. Isn't this interesting? I'm going to preach this one day. Uh, let me rabbit trail for 30 seconds. See, the world is saying that the key to not being stressed is taking more things off of you. But isn't it interesting? Jesus comes along and says, no, take something else on you. Take my yoke on you. So maybe it's not about what we have on us. Maybe it's the priority of what's on us. Mm, that'll preach right there. Uh, make me a note. I need to preach that. Take my, take it on you. He doesn't say take it off. He says put it on you. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your, let me paraphrase, restless heart. Wow. Um, I used to imagine, most of you know I didn't grow up with my dad, and so I used to imagine that my dad, I grew up in the season of the uh, 70s, Batman, remember the 70s Batman? The real simple, the red phone, you know. Pow! How many remember that, right? Yeah. The good old days, those violent shows. But I got the idea from Batman that somehow my dad, wherever he was, was watching me on a special TV. And that every time I was doing something that I wished he had been there, I would pretend that he was watching on TV. If I was playing football, I'd pretend, ooh, man, I'm going to play hard because my dad's somewhere watching on a special little Batman TV. And I'd pretend that all, I, I mean, until I got, like, older, until I was into my teen year, <laughs> until I was 40, Patty said. <laughs> Thank you, honey, for helping the message out. Appreciate that. <laughs> uh, there's probably more truth to that. than. But here's what it did for me. While it was cute. What it did for me is um, it caused me to live a very performance-driven life. And I wanted my fulfillment. I was trying to get my fulfillment from other people because I didn't get it from him. And I didn't learn how to get it from God. Now, as a pastor, that's easier to camouflage because I was doing a whole lot of right things. 
but I did it with wrong motives because I just wanted people to cheer and be happy with the things I was doing. And it wasn't until years later in counseling that I had a breakthrough and I recognized that in my life. Only God fulfills, my friends, because if you allow people to fulfill that, the very people that you depend on to build you up, mm, come on, somebody. <laughs> They're the very people that will throw stones and tear you down. And if you count on them to build you up, you will pay the price when they tear you down. Number three is listen to God's voice. One of the ways we deal with a restless heart is to learn how to listen to God's voice. Let me tell you what Psalms 46 says. Most of you know it. Be still and know that I am God. Maybe he's saying you won't recognize me until you slow down. Let me, if I was going to write this verse today, I would ask this question. I'd say, how many of you are old enough to remember AM radios? Anybody remember those? Remember you had to stand just right, <laughs> hold your breath, and if you had a filling, a new filling, it would throw off the radio signal, right? And, and you would, and, and that radio station was so, like, one millimeter, it's static. <laughs> Searching for a hawk. <laughs> right? I just wonder if there isn't a whole lot of static around us today, and if we would take the time to be still and dial the tune, if we couldn't hear the voice of God, and he would tell us how to walk and the plans and purposes that he has for our lives. Could I just simply say this? We live in a world where I could almost make a blanket statement across the whole crowd and say this, and it would apply to 99.9% .9 of the people, and that would be this, slow down. Slow down. If you have a restless heart, the most difficult thing for you to do is sit down and listen. I'm not going to put this on anybody because it's going to sound legalistic, but let me tell you something I do in my life. I practice an Old Testament principle called Sabbath, and every Saturday, I do nothing. I don't check emails. Now, I don't get legalistic about it. Every once in a while, I get a phone call, and I'm like, ooh, I should take that, but most of the time, I don't even look at my phone, and uh, Saturdays are my Sabbath, and I do everything on Saturday that fills my soul back up so that when I get here on Sunday, I'm ready for you. Come on. I am ready for you. You know how you feel the day before Thanksgiving or the day before Christmas? Like, oh, this is going to be a great day. I'm going to do all the things I want to do. We're going to have family. We're going to eat our favorite meals. I get that every week because on Saturday, which is my Sabbath, I start getting that feeling no matter how crazy the week has been. And so, for me, what I do to fulfill my soul, I don't read any church books, any leadership books. I might read novels. I might read mysteries. I might not watch any or read anything at all. But I start my day. I get up early. I make my coffee. I go spend a little quiet time with God. Uh, I, I go from there, and I make me a huge breakfast. Nobody else eats it. I get every pan in the whole house out. I cook breakfast. I make sausage, bacon, pancakes, potatoes. I, I make it all. And I sit there like one giant pig because it makes me happy, so leave me alone, all right? That's what I do. And then I clean all that mess up, and then I watch some of my favorite podcasts. We usually, depending on the time of the year, whatever it is, yesterday at about 6.30 in the morning, I was outside. Yes, it was 32 degrees at my campfire, because that's what fulfills my heart. That's what Sabbath does. It recharges you. It fills you back up. Come on. You ought to be grateful that you have a pastor that believes in Sabbath to get recharged, so I'm ready for you when you get here on Sunday. Right, everybody? Come on now.
And by the way, let me just tell you, God will take care of the rest of the world while you take five minutes to thank him for something. Right? Uh, Psalms 130 says this. It says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. Mm. Uh, Is that Psalms 130? Give me Psalms 130. Uh, Maybe I gave you the wrong. There it is. Nope. Okay. I gave you the wrong one. My bad. Um, uh, Give me that Psalms 131. Just put that back up there so people can have an opportunity. Okay. Let me do point number four, and then I'm going to be out of your way. Point number four to a restless heart is this. You guys ready? Now, I know the ladies are ready. Are the men ready? Lose yourself in his praise. What? What does that mean? <laughs> How about this? Let's, let's simplify it. Don't just think about what has to be done. Take a minute in silence and think about what God has already done. Patty and I went back over to the new building yesterday afternoon. Was it yesterday afternoon? Friday? Whatever. And uh, walked around the building, and the bathrooms are totally gutted. And I said, well, we need some bathrooms. And uh, a whole bunch of the floors torn up. We went and sat on the stage. I just couldn't help but get emotional. Think about what he's already done. Because no matter what shape that building's in now, it's a whole lot better than that stinky, water-leaking coffee shop where we started this whole thing. And when I think of his goodness and what he's done for me, not what he needs to do, not what still needs to be done. Because, hey, hey, isn't it true? There's still a lot to be done. But could anybody wave a hand and say, but he's already done a whole lot. Amen, everybody? Psalms 116, verse 7 and 9 says, 7 through 9 says, Let my soul be at rest again, for the Lord has been good to me. He has saved me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. And so I walk in the Lord's presence as I live here on this earth. Wow. In this season, and, and, and it's easier now than ever. Get lost in his praise. Guess what? If you come to this church and you don't like our style of music, okay, who cares? There's this wonderful invention called YouTube. And you can listen to any kind of music you want. And you can praise God with any style that you think is more godly than our style. You can listen to hymns and just get lost in his presence. If you like a country twang, down by the riverside. You can listen to that. But you can get lost in praise just thinking about what he's done. Has he done anything for anybody in this room? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Amen, everybody? Come on now. And uh, I just want to make one last statement here, and I'll wrap it up. You can be productive and, and, and fruitful and be calm and still at the same time. I would argue the fact that you might even be more productive if you take time to fill the tank and sharpen the axe. Amen, everybody? I'll leave you with this thought. If Satan can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And he'll make you restless. And he'll make you unsatisfied. So, 
I'm going to give everybody right now the opportunity to practice what I just preached. Are you ready? You're not sure, are you? Look at you. I just delivered my heart and soul, and you're like, I don't know. Would you lower the lights a little? You can stand, you can sit, you can do whatever, but I'm going to ask that nobody, you, you, you can leave if you want to. I hope nobody leaves. I want us to sing a song. And as we sing, I just want you to just learn for, for I think this song is five minutes long. For five minutes, let's practice what I just preached. And let's just, for just a minute, let's quit worrying about what you got to do tomorrow. I know it's monumental. Let's quit worrying about all the garbage that happened last week. I know, I know, I know. I had a leaky roof. I know. Let's set that aside. And for five minutes, let's let our restless hearts be still and get our mind on Jesus. And whatever you're going through, just give it to God and say, it is well with my soul. Can we do that? Five minutes. Let's let our hearts settle. Come on, everybody.